After years of making headlines for a record-setting crime epidemic, the people of Chicago ousted their mayor in a stunning rebuke of her inability to do anything about it. Today, we hear from John Daly, whose family has been a longtime fixture in Chicago politics, about what the next mayor faces in delivering on that and other challenges in these turbulent times in America's Windy City. From Ballard Studios, it's 13th and Park. The future doesn't belong to the same party. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. We will make America strong again. We will get through this together. I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Well, John, thanks for joining us on the show. Late night, wasn't it, last night? It was, and thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. Well, John, we have a the first incumbent mayor of Chicago to lose re-election in more than four decades. It's not something that happens very often. A lot has been made of why that happened. But what's your take? Why do you think ultimately she was not able to even make the runoff? She wasn't even one of the top two finishers. When this mayor came in, remember, 19 days out from her election in 2019, she was actually at eight points. And like a fifth or sixth position trailer. And so she skyrocketed just as Brandon Johnson did last night in the last close of of that 19 election and sort of came out of nowhere. And so with this amount of people in the field, I think the, the key to winning last night was keeping very tight discipline. And you saw that in the two people who won, in Brandon Johnson and in Paul Vallis. And they had very disciplined campaigns. They stayed on message. And I think ultimately that won the day. But the question about what brought the uh, anti-incumbent vibe, I mean, there's so many things that have happened over this tenure. We've had civil unrest. We've had COVID. We've had a number of things that we've seen around the country. You see this national narrative that, you know, Democratic mayors are destroying big city and the fabric of America, et cetera. And when I, I really think you look at this race, a lot of it was negative. A lot of it was trying to tear down other candidates. And sort of the people that weren't successful didn't build themselves up enough, I don't think. And so so that's some of the things that we saw last night, I believe. But when this mayor came in, there was a billion-dollar deficit in Chicago and really sort of financial issues for the city that were large, large challenges. And that deficit is cut down almost to less than $100 million. So there's some real good stories that should have been told, but a lot of time was spent sort of breaking down others. Looking at it from the outside. Mason Dixon poll came out showing that the top issue was crime, 44%. And the next issue was at 12%, right? Jobs in the economy. Usually, as you know, with polls, you have a, a series of things that are put on a list. And sometimes as an advisor to campaigns, you say, you know, it's not always the first issue. Sometimes it's that third, fourth, or fifth issue no one's talking about. That is the wedge issue that wins a campaign. In this case, it looks like crime overwhelmed the other issues in terms of the prime discussion point. And talk about fear. The same poll said two out of three Chicagoans were kind of in some sense of fear of crime and went up to 85% among African-Americans. So with that kind of issue, do you think in a way, fair or not, that this became a referendum on Laurie Lightfoot's inability to give people confidence that she had effectively wrapped her arms around this issue? 
I think that's absolutely true. And, and it's clear in the numbers, regardless of how you really slice and dice it. That is the reality is that people looked at the crime in the city and whatever cascade effects that you want to attribute that to, whether it's mental health and whatever the outlook is. We have two campaigns that have very different views of what the solution is. You know, one in a sense is all the supplementary things around whether it's mental health or supplemental services in public schools. And, and the other side of the campaign is really more police, which we've heard for 12 years, and that has not been very effective in Chicago. So I think you do have, no matter what, whatever the prescription, crime and safety is the number one issue. And you look at that as a direct result all over the country. And anecdotally, even if you look at non-large urban centers, you have huge numbers and increases exponentially of crime, crimes of opportunity, violent crime as well, carjackings, and, and even small things and theft like catalytic converters. We're seeing that all over the country, and it's a major issue in this election, no question. Crime has obviously had an impact on these elections, and that's going to be an issue in the runoff. But how much, when I look at the rhetoric from last night on election night, there was talk of January 6th. There was talk of abortion. There was talk of gay marriage. Do you see those issues mattering to voters? It seems that the issues are the crime issue and the economy issue. So help people not from Chicago understand why gay marriage and abortion in January 6th were, were discussed on election night there. Well, I think those, those issues do matter. And we saw that in November, that they mattered at the ballot box. And I think that's what people are probably pointing to most recently. Because Chicago at its core is a democratic city. There is also a growing number of roughly 100,000 Republican voters that are true triple R voters in the city of Chicago. And so I think what you're seeing is likely people testing and filtering those messages to say of the potential 600,000 to 700,000 voters, we know 100,000 of those are, are Republican. 200,000 people voted for Paul Vallis. The question of those messages is what's his ceiling? And I think based on the numbers yesterday, he had a wider appeal than just this idea of a core 100,000 Republican voters. And I think he, he, you look at the map and you look at the message. And as I said, to both candidates who won last night's credit, they were very disciplined. They did not sort of, you know, run all over issues. And But I think, it, you know, to answer the question, when you look at those national issues coming into a very local race, I think that's simply a test of where triple D's and triple R's are in the electorate in Chicago. Will the swing voters, will they be the ones that decide the election, the the not triple D's, the not triple R's, or are most of the voters going to be polarized into one of those two camps? I don't think it'll be that simple. I think it'll be really a test of what message and prescription, whether it's fear or hope, and you have both of those here, they believe in. And I think it'll be the prescription for the original issue that was identified, which is safety and crime. I think that's that's simply it. And if you really want a simple version of it, we've seen this in many graphics in Chicago today. You have basically the Fraternal Order of Police versus the Chicago Teachers Union and those two prescriptions of, of what the right version and path towards safety is. I think that's what it sort of boils down to. I don't really believe that we're just going to have a test on the police are Republicans and the, the teachers are Democrats. I think it's going to be more complicated than that. Well, we have a runoff for mayor. It's on April 4th. It's going to be an interesting choice between two leaders vowing to make Chicago a better place to live. Fabian, Q-Tape. I received a call from Mayor Lightfoot congratulating me 
on being in the runoff. Let's give her a round of applause. And we will have a safe Chicago. We will make Chicago the safest city in America. A few months ago, they said they didn't know who I was. Well, if you didn't know, now you know. That's two very different styles, John, right? Coming on the stages, the victory stages on election night. This is the question I have, and you kind of started getting there before. Let's talk about the unions. You have law enforcement, including the FOP, backing Vallis. And you've got the teachers union, SEIU and others, backing Brandon Johnson. So how powerful is the union endorsement these days in Chicago? Could that make the ultimate difference in this race that might trump what we just talked about in terms of the top issue of the day? I think you saw that two very different communication styles. Paul Vallis is very much a technocrat. And you look at uh, Brandon Johnson. He's a radio host. He's very affable. He's told his story. And to the point of that clip, he was very sort of unknown in the beginning of this race. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's a commissioner. He has done a whole lot. He is also a lobbyist for CTU itself, which will be a question. And he's a radio host. And he's done a tremendous amount of media. But the one thing he did, and also in his discipline, was he told his story about his family. And he made it very personal about his issues, family issues with addiction, issues with crime on the west side of Chicago where he lives, with his children, and you know safety with his family. And Paul did the same thing as well. He talked about his family very much as well. And so both unions, public service unions, and during COVID, both unions were dragged. The police in Chicago from civil unrest into COVID and both happening at the same time was a horrible combination of things that the average person in the force, you can't help but feel terrible for. No matter what your ideas and and sort of baggage is with the police, the things that they've dealt with uh, over the last three years, including issues with, you know, that are solvable, like work rules. We even had an issue in Chicago around vaccination and exceptions and exemptions. And so that was one of the main things that motivated that union, simultaneously the teachers union being remote and not having enough external services, third party services like mental health, et cetera. And so those are some of the reasons that those two groups particularly were motivated against the incumbent, but also not a surprise that you see them both being successful yesterday. You know, I think it's a interesting face off between the police and the teachers. In your experience, is that a typical alignment in the mayor's race there? Are the teachers and the police union typically on different sides? Is that unusual or is that not unusual? I think it sort of has depended historically on timing of contracts. And at certain times, neither have really played large roles. But in recent history, the teachers union and the FOP have both played outsized roles based on sort of the historical background. They've really been active. They've really gotten members active. And one of the things yesterday I think is interesting in the two approaches of the the success on both sides, one was more of a media male driven process and campaign, which is, you know, we've seen over years, a lot of digital, a lot of paid, and really not so much earned. And the teachers union style was really grassroots and field. They had an amalgam of groups that put 2000 people on the street to only go chase early and VBM triple Ds that they knew. They had already identified 
and they chased him yesterday. And that made a difference. It's very clear in the numbers. I love it when you say VBM and other things. I'm laughing because as professionals, we know what you're talking about, vote by mail. But it probably made even more of a difference, the grassroots, I would argue, because of the turnout. The turnout, I think, was modest by historical standards. So obviously, with lower turnout, I think grassroots, the ability to turn out voters actually has a profound effect. It's true. And, you know, we're starting to see a moment, at least in Chicago, I don't know about elsewhere, but there seems to be a diminishing return in such heavy, heavy media buys, you know, flooding mailboxes. And, you know, there's got to be and we're starting to see different approaches. And the personal approach and the direct approach is one that's that's winning and also an advantage of the teachers. You know, you obviously come from one of the most prominent families in American politics and certainly the most prominent family in Chicago politics. And for those of us who are curious about what has it meant to you in terms of knowing of your family history and what what have you learned and how has it impacted your life? You know, I think when you approach all of these things, I grew up in a neighborhood on the South Side that, you know, people are very active in government and politics. And, you know, that issue that I talked about, about cost of elections is something that I think about often. I worked in the, in the U.S. Senate for government affairs, and that was an issue that we studied and thought about a lot was the cost of elections. They've gone up exponentially. We've seen this as the leader in the presidential side from President Bush cresting a billion dollars for the first time to one cycle later, President Obama cresting two billion. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I think about a lot. You know, the amount of resources that are spent on things that should be inherent in our constitution. And so it does mean a lot, especially in Chicago. We don't ever take any of these elections for granted and certainly don't take people's support for granted. And I think the combination of those two things, people, you know, the ultimate sign of respect, people voting for a candidate. I mean, that's it just takes a lot of hard work. And you saw that yesterday. The people who were disciplined and told the story and took the time to actually sell themselves were successful. The city is kind of a political melting pot. It's fascinating. As a political scientist, because it's roughly divided one-third white, one-third African-American, and one-third Hispanic. Now you have two candidates, one of Greek descent, one African-American. Well, the demographics themselves have bearing on this race. And how have they changed politics as you know it, John, over the last 10 years? That's a very good question. And, and I think the narrative wants to be, and we're hearing this a lot, that you know Chicago is a segregated city and that this is as simple as it's going to be. I think it's a lot more complicated than that, especially when you look at the map yesterday. Brandon didn't really win the historically black wards. Hmm. Well, he won north on the map and he won in progressive wards. And that's where that that GOTV and that's what that where that effort really turned out yesterday. Now, I think he has tremendous opportunity to grow in other areas. And that will be the question here and the test. What is Paul's ceiling and how much can he grow? And where does Brandon then have the ability to grow naturally, inherently in a base and new voters that will will learn more? And I think that'll be sort of the back and forth. But I do think you have a prescription and a version of voters who want to see a more progressive leaning Chicago. And and we've seen that. And you have a reaction to that as well. And that's sort of where we're progressing. And it's not simply in monoliths or, or demographs. And I think it's more an ideology And we live in a ward on the South Side that is growing. We have the first Chinese-American alder woman. And that's a a growing demographic, phenomenally growing. The diaspora now from, it was traditionally Southern China, but now Northern China. Could it be that this race, John, comes down to a a contest between modern-day progressive politics 
which you might say favors Brandon, versus law and order, which is the here and now issue of the day that is represented by Paul Vallis, who has told people in no uncertain terms, quote, Chicago will become the safest city in America. Do you think that one could overwhelm the other? I do believe that'll be the, the massive issue and who you believe and what your prescription is for that path forward. You know, I, I think there's questions on both ends. You know, people will question a campaign simply run by CTU as a sole funding source. People will also question Paul's CV and, and his history in Philadelphia and Chicago as well, and his history in New Orleans. So I think those are two things that we'll hear a lot of. The one thing I would caution any candidate against is if you look at the last election as any sort of really good weather of what happens, this is a very short race. It's only about a month, you know, six weeks total. But when you look at it, the first two weeks are critical. In the last version of this, when Mayor Lightfoot was successful, her opponent ran a very, very negative cutting ad about uh, a case that she was a prosecutor on and ran it very matter-of-factly. And, and on its face, it was, it was terrible. And it backfired tremendously. Wow. And our current mayor ran away with that race 70 to 30. And it really was sort of over after that. And it's about credibility. That's the one thing I think these candidates have to keep that discipline that they've had and keep this universal message that they've had going as they continue to, to grow their base and, and sort of define who they are. But I think regardless in that, they're going to have to really convince people that they have a path forward for safety and that they want to grow the city. We have a declining population at the moment. We'd have to deal with that. We have to deal with our infrastructure. Other cities are, are making it much more easy, not just to move in, but affordable and the quality of life factors. You know, we, we have weather to deal with in Chicago, no matter what. <laughs> How nice our buildings and, and streets and broadband is, we, we have some weather to deal with. Not not the worst, certainly. And and our summers are, are you know, second to none. So, you know, we do have to sell ourselves and, and, and we have to give people real reasons to come to the city. You know, there's 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 reasons why for business and trade and for heavy manufacturing. 80% of the rail in the United States comes through Chicago. And that's been a historic reason why we've been such a central hub. But we really need to keep that going in order to stay in that position. Full disclosure, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. I'm nervous about what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson. But of course, I love the Bears. Who can't love the Bears? And I remember seeing a game the Ravens played against the Bears uh, the season before last went up into Soldiers Stadium. It was awesome. But now they might be moving. It looks like they are going to be moving from Soldier Field up north to Arlington Heights. Are the Bear fans okay with that? Or is this going to take a lot of transition time? It's a great question. And, and I think, you know, if we relate this back to the election, what can a mayor do about this? I think is something that people are, are often asking. And I don't know that there's much that they can do. The Bears are the oldest franchise over 100 years in the city of Chicago in one place in the NFL. And when you look at the ownership and its current configuration, really, it's an economic play. I mean, they can create realize a tremendous amount of value just in building an owned asset. And so, you, you know, you look at, at the Cowboys and, and other examples of the valuations of these teams and heavily they're part of the stadium's value. And, and I don't think there's another choice. What I think Chicago has a choice in is how we react to that. You know, the, the Cardinals are from the south side where I'm from. And so we could certainly have a second team in the city of Chicago. And I think that's a, a more honest path. And when you look about around the, the other activities that happen at Soldier Field, particularly FIFA events, 
You look at when CONCACAF, the Gold Cup, has happened at Soldier Field. One of the largest rugby events happened where Ireland upset a 110-year record against New Zealand. Mexico packs the house unbelievable at Soldier Field. And some of the best events we've, we've hosted, not to mention the Rolling Stones and all the things that happened in that space, and the Chicago Fire and Anchor Tenant now. So I think there's just other uses for the facility. I think there's an opportunity for new teams. But we can't, you know, live and die in a city by 10 NFL games. I just remember the days when Walter Payton and Gail Sayers and others ran down that field and no one could catch them. John, thank you so much. I'm sorry that we, we intruded on your sleepless night that you've just gotten through. And as Justin said, you know, your family legacy, your family tradition is, has been something has had an amazing impact on the city. We wish you the best. We're all going to look at the April 4th runoff election with great interest because I think Chicago has a lot to do with the direction of every major American city. And we hope it's going to be a good one. Well, I appreciate it. It's great talking to you. And, and I appreciate the question about our family. We take it very seriously. Public service is very important to us. Many different forms in our family, from the uh, armed services to doctors and we have a few elected officials still in the family, but definitely appreciate your time and appreciate what you do. Thank you, John, for being with us. Well, Justin, that was a history lesson in Chicago politics, as well as a, an update on the Chicago Bears daily, the name daily. I, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking we're still listening to history that goes back into the 50s. Yeah, a really remarkable family, remarkable legacy, going back to his grandfather, who was the mayor, classic mayor of, uh, of Chicago, and his uncle in more recent times. But, you know, from that conversation, a couple of things strike me is mm -hmm. you have the existing mayor not even making the final runoff, very unusual. But then you have this progressive, somewhat unknown, as we saw in that clip. And then you have someone who ran and only got 5% four years ago, but now uh, got more votes than anybody else on the issue of law and order. So that issue of crime is undoubtedly going to be the number one issue. And it's interesting because I think you see the progressive candidate is going to be weak on that. And I think the progressive candidate is going to try to talk about other issues and try to basically point to his opponent and say, he's a Republican, he's not pro-choice, he's not pro-gay marriage, he's going to try to bring in some of those social issues. And I think you're going to see Johnson talk about everything, maybe almost other than crime because he had taken a position one time regarding the defunding of the police, which he since has backtracked from. So I think that the dynamic that we see playing out in Chicago is similar to what we see happening all across the country. Well, you you saw on election night last night exactly what you're talking about. So Paul Vallis is almost right off the bat says, we're going to make Chicago the safest city in America, which, by the way, among all the political promises that could be made, I know that's an aspirational idea. But the reality of making Chicago suddenly the safest, that's going to take a lot of work, right? But he wants to make sure it's a referendum on safety. On the other hand, you have Brandon Johnson who came out of the gate and he's talking about, look at me, someone that came from basically nowhere and now I could become mayor. I am in the personification of the American dream kind of approach. To your point, he wants to focus on that. And he is clearly the more progressive, if you had to scorecard it, candidate among the two. So what wins? Is it the ideological pull of Brandon Johnson and the personal story, which, I, which is, I'm sure, very compelling, versus Paul Vallis, who says, basically, I'm a one-issue candidate. I'm going to make you and your family safe again. And that's why it makes it so interesting. It's fascinating because 
in my view, the social issues are not really what's plaguing Chicago right now. I assume, I don't know, but I assume that it is a pro-choice city, it's a pro-choice state, that there are no one's talking about restricting access to abortion there, but yet we're hearing abortion on election night was being was being discussed as an issue. Uh, so I don't know. My personal view and opinion is, is that voters care more about issues that impact their daily lives and not as much of issues mm-hmm. that in theory are important to them. But if you can't walk out of your house or your home or your apartment and feel safe, and if your kids can't go to the playground, and if you can't go shopping to the grocery store and get food for yourself to feed yourself without being concerned about being a victim of crime, you know, some of these other issues like gay marriage and abortion aren't as important. Not saying they're not important, but they're not as important if I don't even know if I can get to the grocery store and feed my family without being murdered. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the choice that Chicagoans will have on April 4th. I think generally what happens when you're given that kind of option, you go for the one that is most directly and closely to your heart and to the security and welfare of your family. That's why I think Paul Vallis, who, if I were to look at this in any other normal, semi-normal year, I'd say he has an uphill run against Brandon Johnson. I would agree, but there's a lot of campaigning left to be done. There's more than four weeks of campaigning. And now they're both candidates meta will be tested and how they navigate that issue. And my final observation is it's also fascinating. I asked John the question about the police union versus the teachers union. And it's just fascinating. These are two public employee unions, public safety and education, very important issues to voters. And now we're going to see those two interest groups clash in this mayor's race. That'll be another storyline to watch. My last takeaway is John. It's nice to see he has that sense and thirst of public service that comes from granddad on down. It's nice to see young people who are very involved in the process, who really want to improve things in their community and what better testing ground in the city of Chicago. Absolutely. Another great episode. Adam, I'll see you next time. Looking forward to it. Don't miss future episodes by following us on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast platforms, or go to the YouTube channel where you can subscribe for free.